Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ignite Radio Live and our award-winning podcast on all major podcast platforms. Over these weeks of Lent, we're doing something very special, a weekly Power Hour series date night for Catholic couples featuring a new dynamic presenter every week, including ourselves, Greg and Stephanie Schleter, Father Nathan Cromley, Greg and Julie Alexander, Peter and Deb Herbeck, Melody Lyons, Father Nick Rao, and a capstone episode by Dr. Bob Schutz, which will happen during Holy Week. We're making available all episodes right now on demand for free at massimpact.us forward slash power hour. We're so grateful and blessed for partners who help us drive this critical mission of uniting families in seeking, proclaiming, living, and building the kingdom. Find out more at ilovemyfamily.us. Please click on that Partner tab. Now we continue our Lenten Power Hour series for Catholic couples. So the first week, of course, is on truth. It's the foundation. It's under attack. And we declare again, truth is not something we can presume to determine. Truth is someone who determines us. From that, we had Father Cromley. Hand in the air for Father Cromley, right? Last week, did he not bring it? He was awesome. So response. Every truth or revelation demands a response of either acceptance or rejection. And together, we're here hopefully receiving all the more of that truth. The other facet that we're going to talk about tonight, that we're going to hear tonight, Melody Lyons speak about, and so blessed to hear her and share this as incarnational. It's not just up there in the clouds. We're not angels. We are uh, limited. We have struggles. We inherit uh, impairment, impediments from our background, our sin, things that we um, experience from others, things we've done ourselves. We discover that through this process of, of sanctification, ever greater uh, approximation to his heart, we can uh, discover him in everyday life. So, Steph, do you want to introduce our amazing guest? Melody and her husband, Chris, who's a fire chief um, in Bayville. Thank you. So we've known for many, many, many years, uh, even before we started dating believe it or not and it was actually at melody and chris's wedding my big claim to fame of connection here that greg and i had our first kiss 30 years later yeah so anyway um so melody is an amazing amazing woman which you will soon hear incredible wife and mother of nine children um and one grandchildren she's an author of the sunshine principle and an awesome book on natural catholic healing i'm going to see how many times i can use the word awesome when i'm describing melody here i follow very few blogs there's so many out there that are great and good um and she is one of the very few uh, if only one that i check in with um deliberately and it's called the essential mother.com i think is that right, Melody? Um, so check her stuff out there. And she is also, uh, we, we kind of entered the ranks together for the first time as grandmothers very recently. So congrats to you and Chris, Melody. Um, so I'll let her kind of take it from there, but just so blessed to have such an authentic witness who's not afraid to speak the truth, who's not afraid to speak the truth in love and um, just a real inspiration to so many. She's an incredible presence. Um, in the social media realm that I know many people look to and, and deliberately seek out to just um, be affirmed in truth and to kind of process things with. So without further ado, the beautiful Melody Lyons. Welcome, Melody. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. That was really, <laughs> it was really affirming, very sweet. Um, I'm so grateful and happy to be here with you. Can you hear me? Okay. Great, thanks. 
Um, so I'm just going to dive right in with the incarnational. I'm so excited. You know, when you presented this to me, that every aspect of our ordinary lives are components of a custom design retreat meant for ever deeper encounter and conformity to Jesus Christ. And, you know, um, when you first presented that, Greg, I was just like, <laughs> I just sat with that for just, well, I've been sitting with that for weeks, but God is accessible, life is sacred. And last week, Father Nathan talked a little bit about how the world has prevented us from staying in the womb, right? Like he said, the womb is gone, we're exposed now. And that's so true, but it's also the perfect segue to this week, because it's also true that God has created family to be a womb, if you will, you know, to be that custom design retreat where we are made strong to face the world. And um, as I said, ever since you presented this idea, this idea of home as a custom design retreat has just been captivating me. So it's been rolling around. <laughs> it's, it's like one of those things that I've come to know over 25 years of marriage, like home as a place of encounter, peace, healing, and restoration. But having it represented to me that way just made me gasp a little with awe. A good retreat experience is one where you go in expecting God to work through the obvious things, like the apparent good, right? Which surround you, the prayers and community and food, sacraments and talks and, you know, to which you've given your initial yes and your entry fee. But the profound retreat experience is where you go in expecting a consolation and you end up just like stripped down to your core, <laughs> coming face to face with self and sin and darkness and doubt and then God, you know, and that's where this retreat analogy with the home and the family just blew me away. And the first memory that came to my mind was of this silent retreat I went on. It was 18 years ago and I had no cell phone. We didn't own a cell phone. But during that retreat, there was this huge snowstorm. It was so creepy and crazy because all the electricity went out. It was this big drafty retreat center, really dark, like the only light was these exit signs and very cold and I couldn't sleep at all. And we're all in these separate rooms and alone. And it just turned out to be this epic interior battle. It was, which culminated in finding the glowing red sanctuary light in the chapel, indicating the Eucharistic presence of my Lord Jesus Christ. So it was just really profound. And what occurred to me with that memory, though, is that today, if I went today, it would be different, you know, like a little less insulated. I would totally have my phone. And the first thing I would do in the darkness is I would be texting home. <laughs> I would be on the phone with Chris like, this is really creepy, you know, talk me through it, which isn't a bad thing, but it's just different. And so that memory came to me first when thinking of home as a God designed retreat where we arrive expecting consolation and we do get that, but we also come face to face with our sinfulness and this darkness of the night, the weakness of others, the isolation, even within community, there is a settling of the sediment on retreat, which my dear friend Brooke Taylor likes to say, and maybe a craving for escape, you know, at least from our own darkness. And always now we have that little button that we can press to keep us just on the surface and from surrendering the heart so fully to Christ through the vocation of home, which is the way to true liberation. So we want to go there. So if we are the retreat leaders in our home, 
one key to being successful in this role is to create an environment in which your attendees, your children, your spouse are safe and supported enough to be able to like just totally hit the skids without losing themselves in the darkness. And I think that's the most beautiful part of this analogy, that as spouses and parents, we understand that the painful burdens we undertake to protect our home are providing that security for those we love. We let go of that resentment today, now, and enter in, leaning into our cross. We can't remove it. You know, we can't remove the crosses from the people in our homes, from, the, from their shoulders. But we can hold that space to retreat from the world and have a place where all is oriented towards divine love. And I have to bring this up. You already brought this up, but I'm a first time grandma and I'm still like, just so excited. <laughs> I'm just bursting with this. Um, so my beautiful granddaughter was born on Ash Wednesday, which was like, it was so liturgically perfect because it was this pretty traumatic labor and birth born on Ash Wednesday in the three o'clock hour after honestly a very very intense trial of a year and she was born at 316 you know so that comes into me i'm like 316 john 316 for god so love the world that he gave his only son <laughs> that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life and it just was incredible like god is so attentive to those little love notes just the sacred details and the healing in our lives and I marveled at this little irrepressible alleluia of her life, even on this solemn day, even during Lent, this precious thread of hope and praise runs confidently through it all. And the truth about Lent and about the Christian life is that we walk the Via Dolorosa, but it never does go completely black for us. And home should be that pinpoint of light, even during our Lent, and we should be pointing persistently to that light. So a little backstory um, about me. I've been married to my husband now for almost 26 years, married when I was 19 and he was 24 and up against, you know, a fair amount of skepticism about our ability to thrive in my age and whatnot. And I just, I credit my husband, Chris, for being what I see, I, I, I think in images. And so he's a load bearer and a beam holder. And this is how I see him. So those times when there's like a threatened collapse in our gold mine or maybe our little holy family cave. And he's in there like, you know, big John, like holding these fallen beams and earth away from his vulnerable little family. He, and he's standing there with a strain and a sweat and shaking and the veins popping out of the forehead and arms, you know, and beneath him, his family is secure and at peace. And it was through his modeling that I learned how to be something of that for our family as well, like in my own way. I'm not a load bearer like that. I don't have his particular strength. And it took me a while to awaken to his silent stand of prayer and effort because it seemed in some ways effortless. But now I see that my own strength, the image I have for me is more like a, a doula at the labor of a birthing woman. And I am a doula. <laughs> so this picture comes alive for me, just being present for the dynamic unfolding of the precious life and identity of family. Being at the heart of this dramatic pain and birthing where it just seems dark and overwhelmingly painful. 
And but more than anything else, like I can't take away that pain for the people in, in my care, but I can hold that peace in the sacred space for this little family in travail. I can hold that space. You are safe. You are strong. You are held in him. You are capable. You are living mission. You will suffer, but you will rise. And you are free and safe to bring forth life. So that is broken when we allow the world to encroach without a righteous reason. And we all have, you know, these unique crosses within our homes. Um, one of my particular crosses has been chronic illness, which honestly has stripped me down to nothing at times, you know, in the pattern of the best possible retreats <laughs> and with the best possible outcome, I hope. Um, but this stripping down has forced me to face this painful things in life, which distractions and ability and strength often prevent me from really being able to engage in, you know, they provide an escape from the deep work that has to be done. So during particularly hard times, I've been stripped of my ability to care for my family, uh, relationships stripped of consolations, stripped of vanity when my disease made me pretty outwardly ugly and just very unappealing, uh, stripped of strength of body and all successes, uh, stripped of friendships that could not be maintained, of community, of the ability to read and even to pray. So there was one day when I laid on my bed and I thought that I was probably going to die soon. Like I couldn't see my way. I couldn't see another outcome. And there was a clarity that God allowed me to have that this realization that he was allowing me to be stripped even of control at the end. I was just too tired and sick. Like in my imagination, I had this romantic vision of what I would do if I ever had like this lengthy, you know, deathbed scene. I would be writing letters to my children or maybe doing videos, spending time with them slowly and lovingly releasing. And, you know, that was all pride. But the reality is that I didn't have the ability to do any of that. If I died, it would have been with all of my unfinished business left behind. Every word, action, outpouring, that was it. And I lay there and I'm like, that's it. I, I got nothing. Everything behind me is it. And I was really too tired to even be upset about it, which is just, it, it was a unique experience, but it did settle deeply within me. And it stayed there. It was planted as a seed. And over time, you know, my body was slowly restored to health. I had recovery. And I felt this seed just rising and growing in me. Like it has, it's not left. I haven't forgotten. And a commission with it, which is familiar to all of us because we're all Christians. And it's just the mission of our lives that everything that we do should be oriented to the love which compels us, right? Not box checking, but that Christ should be made known to my family through my life. And this is what I want to leave. I mean, death's coming, it's coming again. Um, and this is what I want to leave when it does come. So I understood much better through that, how my husband had just been undergoing his own lo load bearing, just that sweating, straining, painful lifting so that I would be held and safe to be able to walk my Calvary with some measure of clarity. So 
I want to issue a challenge to you today to invite the Holy Spirit in to help illuminate what is distracting you from God and each other. I mean, it's all kinds of things. We know that. So that in the retreat of your life, you can go along with your children to be safe, to, to help them to be safe, to become who God created you to be, and also hold that space for it, for them to be and your spouse, everyone within your home. So the challenge now is to wake up once again, you know, to this extraordinary life of spousal love, this wild adventure that just makes our lives, your lives, a fire of grace. We have a lot of mundane in our lives, a lot of struggle, and the deep work of holding that space isn't always pleasing to our appetites, right? So the more in love you are, the more capable of pain you are. Praise God. We get to do this, right? And the more necessary it is to invite the presence of Christ to transform. That's what Lent is for, the surrender, the weakening so that we can be made strong in him. And I do recall the first time I panicked in my marriage and I thought, oh, crud, <laughs> they were right. All the naysayers were right about my marriage. I'm, I'm too young for this. You know, I probably should have stuck with college sports instead of having babies. So I spent, you know, like a full two minutes looking for the escape hatch to committed marital love, which was supposed to be comfort and instead was cross. But when you're Catholic and you're married, you can't, you know, vows are simply shrugged off as a folly of you. So we cling. Um, and maybe you've all had a similar experience where you see families in your communities tumbling down around you. And it's terrifying when you begin to stumble on your own beloved and yourself and the drudgery in our own community in the last two years we have seen the disintegration of so many seemingly strong families and frankly it totally shook me you know the first one came and i was like oh my goodness that's really difficult to wrap my mind around that's that's really grievous and then two and then three and then four and then five, and I was just shaken to my core, weeping at night, afraid, you know? Like, if this can happen to them, can it happen to me? Am I gonna wake up in the morning and find it just all falling apart? So Chris and I have done some deep work in order to shore up our retreat walls. I told them I felt like our marriage was strong, but that I was afraid because I thought that they were strong too. So to become captivated again, we have to learn that what we expected at the start was not good enough. We need to go deeper. When did the radical call of 1 Corinthians and the gospel become a placard on the wall and a box checking instead of a flame? The suffering places of life are just this massive gift, allowing us to see that God's vision is deeper and wider. It's all in the sacred details. Marriage is a battle. It's a fire. It is a sunset in an ocean. It is rapids and cliff diving and wonder wrapped up in the tedious nitpicking mundane cross carrying struggle. And in these wicked times, especially, you know, we've got to remember, we've got to remember how to share the beautiful secrets with our spouses again and make our homes holy chasing vigorously after it, like with youthfulness, the special wink, the familiar touch, bring those back. 
the ixus drawn in the sand for each other while the world encroaches. You know, that secret, shared, sacred knowing. Beloved, you are extraordinary. My Lenten, alleluia. And someday we will dance in eternal glory. We can dance tonight in anticipation, but first we do the dishes, you know, or maybe the dishes can wait. But we need to reclaim the space in our homes so that it can become that God-designed space of constant encounter. Everything pointing to the full truth and goodness of life now and eternally. If we're dancing, let it not be to something profane. If we're watching, why are we watching something that takes our eyes off of our beloved and can possibly dull that spark? We've got to fight for it. It's not work for the faint of heart. That's what sacramental graces are for. But we also have to get really practical about it and dig in. Get up, people of God. This is your adventure. And this is how I talk to myself <laughs> and how as spouses, you know, how I ask my husband to talk to me and he does. And we speak to each other because we don't want to forget. So I want to leave you with an outline for recovering joy in the home in the midst of our Lent, because Lent does not exclude joy. We need to hold that retreat space in our homes, open the door to grace, to healing, to flourishing. So I want to loosely cover what Father Alfred Delp calls the five conditions for true joy. And Father Delp was a priest in Nazi Germany who was arrested, imprisoned, and finally executed. While he was in prison, he wrote on tiny scraps of contraband paper with his wrists chained like this. And those writings were smuggled out of prison in a laundry cart. So when he wrote about joy, I, I mean, he, he wrote about joy that rises up out of literal torture, bloodied wounds, dungeons, isolation, terror, hunger, and depression, which are all things he experienced. So if we have a cross to carry, and this is why I go back again and again to Father Delph. Um, he could probably relate in some way. And when he wrote the, true, the conditions for true joy, he meant that these conditions are necessary for our liberation, not outside of our pain, but within it, even the most hopeless and grievous conditions. So this is where we have to go with our marriages. He battled every minute of his last years with the brokenness of spirit, of mind, of body, of grief for his people. Um, and yet he wrote of joy. So I encourage you actually to read his writings, uh, the one book, Advent of the Heart, with Ignatius Press. And please forgive my liberties I'm taking with his words. But here are the five conditions for true joy with my commentary, not his. So the first condition is holiness and nearness to God. The pursuit of union with Christ must be compelling every action of our lives. The interior of our home needs to reflect that love. It is not enough to do the box checking, okay? Went to mass, did the novena, made a green cake for St. Patrick's Day, abstained from meat. Those things are really good, but without the fervent pursuit of closeness to the person of Christ and a strong interior life, our piety could take us into very bad places, could completely fool us into thinking we're closer than we are. God is not a bean counter. He is a lover. His laws are in place to serve love. So what do we have to do in our homes to draw closer to him? What roofs do we have to dismantle? What do we have to cut out? When will we start to speak his name easily with others and become transformed and responsive? So we start doing that with our next condition for true joy, 
which is clarity and honesty. And this is hard because, to put it bluntly, uh, one hard fact about Christian life is that piety is so easily faked. And we know this. I mean, we, we can, like, we can have mortal sin on our souls and still walk around talking about Jesus, you know? We can fake other people out and ourselves, and it's just, like, really hard work to strip the veneer until our insides match our outsides and our outsides match our insides. There are so many prominent Christians who have preached the word of God with passion, who at the same time have been enslaved by sin and lost their belief. It's everywhere. And it just takes really deep honesty to be free. And many of the families who have been leaders in our communities and whose marriages have disintegrated, and I'm not calling anybody out. These are things that are just known and we have to deal with them in order to process it and like recover our own families. A lot of those families are covering deep dysfunction with a pious veneer. So how do we protect our marriages against this? And the first step is to take it down, to take it down, but to run recklessly to Christ boldly so that we can surrender our families to his healing power unhindered to freedom. So Father Delb's third condition for true joy is selflessness and readiness to serve. Everything in Christian life is oriented toward love. Everything. There are no exceptions. The diaper changing, the sports practices, the intimacy. When we see Christ, he'll compel us to serve. So that means no more resentment over the mundane tasks of marital love and familial life. We're done with that. That's it. Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to serve. Thank you for this opportunity to clean up a hallway of kid vomit for the pain of relational struggle for other. Like, if not me, then who? Thank you, Lord, for putting me here so that I can serve. It's hard, but thank you. So the fourth condition for true joy is detachment. When we go into the heart of our families, we should do so with detachment. And that does not mean coldness. Detachment from an unholy relationship with things, people, circumstances, ego, desire for praise, emotions, basically any outcome other than Christ. Father Delp writes this about detachment. With the knowledge of God's redeeming freedom, man releases himself from the unmediated relationship to things and conditions. He finds himself at a holy and healing distance, and the voice of such a person is not so quickly silenced. So detachment will make us bold in the defense of our families. And there's just a lot to unpack there in the context of marriage and family. I, you will all, like, I just encourage you to go through that, you know. I know I'm not really strong enough to be wholly detached. I really like a lot of things like cheesecake and sleeping in and being right. Um, so my realistic goal is to make my idols so small that when Christ comes to liberate me, I can let them go by his grace. And I really recommend... Um, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote a work of fiction called The Great Divorce. And it's just an excellent slim volume um, to, to work on further reflection on detachment. Uh, but unholy attachments just blind us. They keep us from really surrendering our lives to goodness. So we got to root them out and subject them to the gaze of Jesus Christ where they can be purified. So the fifth condition for true joy, according to Father Delp, 
testimony, praise, and hope. In Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This isn't optional. It's not optional. We don't set it aside for Lent either. One of the best practical uh, pieces of advice I have ever received was that we should write and speak in a way that advertises truth to ourselves. So when you repeatedly say to yourself, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm tired, I'm lonely, I'm afraid, I'm hurting, I'm sick, I'm lost. Well, those things are true sometimes, right? Or um, we're broken, we're unhappy, we're struggling, we're grieving. They're true, but they're not the full truth. And that's the key. We need the full truth. I am what? I am who? You know, who am I? My name is Melody. I'm made in the Imago Dei, the image of God. I was created to love and be loved. Now and for eternity, my inheritance is liberty and joy. Blessed be God forever. So if you're going to be a Christ follower, then you're going to give testimonies to the world, not just others, but to yourself as well. So, you know, we need to listen to the words of the Psalms, the great hymns, and even the wonderful contemporary songs of praise, which I love. Bring them into your home. They all have the same message. The message is, I was lost and broken, Lord, but you rescued me. I am wandering, but you'll find me. I'm afraid, but you are my consolation and hope and courage. So our mission here is to bring the incarnational truths into your home to transform them. Speak truth and hope into the darkness. Even if you think nobody hears you, the Lord hears you, your spouse hears you, your children hear you, and you hear you. Proclaim it endlessly, even in the midst of pain. So we struggle, but we praise you. During sickness, we praise you. During health, we praise you. In poverty, we praise. In affluence, we praise. In better times, we praise. In worse times, we praise. In new life, we praise. In death, we praise. Let our lives and homes be a respite and a stronghold, a thread of hallelujah through every Lent. Amen, and thanks be to God. Melody's standing ovation just experience it. We are so grateful for you. You are the sound of heaven to our ears. It's a very beautiful but challenging message. You've been listening to our very special Power Hour series for Catholic couples featuring a dynamic new presenter every week. We're making available all episodes right now on demand for free at massimpact.us forward slash power hour. We're so grateful and blessed for partners who help us drive this critical mission of uniting families in seeking, proclaiming, living, and building the kingdom. Find out more at ilovemyfamily.us. Please click on that partner tab. Now we continue our Lenten Power Hour series for Catholic couples. So we are going deeper into the heart of the Trinity and that is our very nature the t was truth the fabric of it all we know that it's under attack right we know that um the big hinge on which much turns is whether or not we're going to presume truth is something we can determine instead of someone who determines us and then responds father cromley that second week right that there are things we need to be engaged in we need to be agents we need to be building the kingdom but we can't do that if at the very core we're not seeking god's grace if we're not responding and allowing that grace to overflow us to all aspects of our lives last week so let's see tri incarnational we had melody lyons 
give beautiful testimony um, about her own background struggles and battles and really at death's door as a mother and experiencing and how refined and molded her that God um, really every part of our lives is a part of a custom designed retreat meant for ever deepening encounter with Christ. How awesome is that? Deb and Peter Herbeck, if you don't know them, um, you've had your head in the sand. I'm kidding. I don't mean to insult you. They're some of the, uh, I think, most sincere, authentic disciples of Jesus Christ in the fullness of the faith. So Peter and Debbie, so glad you're with us tonight. Uh, hello, brothers and sisters. Good to see you. Thanks. It's good to be here. Good to see you, Greg. You also. Yeah. Uh, Deb, why don't you a little bit about our family? Yeah, just a little bit our family, since we're going to kind of dive into that, how um, the natural. Um, so I thought you were going to call us swingers when you talked about swinging to the right <laughs> and to the left. And I thought we I are, can't dance. But we, anyway. we are not swingers. Uh, but uh, we um, just a little bit about our own family. We have four um, wonderful children, young adult children, two boys and two girls. Three of the four are married now and having their own families. We have nine grandchildren between the ages of nine and four months and one more on the way. So we are very blessed to be continuing this legacy that the Lord has given us and um, and to speak to you a little bit tonight about how that has, has um, been reflected in our own marriage and family life. Yeah, it's a really is an honor for us to be here tonight. And I was just listening, watching the video about our consecration to Our Lady and the the epic moment that we're living through, brothers and sisters, you know, like we're, we're talking about family. Debbie and I were married in 19, May of 1986. And I, you know, we already knew that there was a great battle on and, and the battle family was a part of it. Honestly, I don't think we ever imagined we'd be where we are right now, how dramatically the enemy has taken strides in und trying to undo the natural. You know what I mean? And and how fundamental it is. Just today, I think it was the the new Supreme Court justice hearing of uh, just J Justice Jackson was asked by a senator, can you tell us what a woman is? And she said, uh, she thought for a while and she said, um, no, I can't. And uh, I'm not a biologist. I mean, that that is that is an absolutely breathtaking example of the, the level of spiritual battle that's coming directly at the family, directly at God's icon, directly at male-female, directly at woman in particular, but not just woman. You know what I mean? I just think, I think that's a, that the, the enemy's going after that and the woman in particular in life. And so, so here we are friends, like God decided that we should be alive now, all of us, and that we should be married now and know him at this time when the thing that's most precious to us is getting blown up in the culture in a way that no one would ever have thought was possible. So this is epic battle, epic fight, and the Lord has all the grace for us. And we just want to share a few of our own thoughts from kind of what we've done as a family over these years since 1986 together. Um, the You know, beginning with, and I know that, you know, Craig and Stephanie's ministry, the ministry you guys belong to, are very conscious of the whole iconic reality of marriage. And so we're supposed to talk about the natural. And there's nothing more natural than what God himself established in the earth, you know, and God established two things, marriage and, the, you know, family and the church. And the whole story from Genesis to Revelation is a story about family and marriage and all the rest of that. And so, like, built right into us, 
in the order of things. And we've tried to kind of be conscious of it and appreciate it in throughout our married life, that the natural, the daily habits of life, the daily pattern of life is a place where we're really meant to meet the Lord and express it instead of, so we we're involved in like full-time ministry stuff. So sometimes we could even get a little bit, little bit like, Hey, the actions out there, like the actions out there in the, in the ministry, in the mission, which is clearly part of it. But we would kind of lose, you could lose sight at sometimes of how critical the daily habits of life living together in the natural husband and wife life is coming forward from two people, weak and broken people who've come to know the love of God, who are, are through God's grace and mercy are learning to love each other. And in that loving communion comes eternal light comes a, a person, you know, an icon of a child of God. And so uh, t- we, we tried hard to at times really work to appreciate the natural as a gift from God, and then an offering to God, an offering to God in the sense of like, we want to live this with our heart. You know, we, we want to do this. So meals, very conscious of the importance of meals and uh, using, um, uh, how, how would I say it? You know, the, the idea of being able to show our children and live together that self-donating love is an image of God and God's giving us grace to be able to live this with each other um, on a consistent basis. And uh, so anyway, so we had lots of customs and lots of practical ways in which we did it that I wanted Debbie to be able to share some things on that might help to express the kind of theological or larger epic story that I was just putting my finger on. So we want to get down into the weeds. Debbie loves to live in the weeds. I She pulls me down every once in a while, like, get in the real world, Peter. You know what I mean? And so, and so she's very helpful with that. So we want to talk about some of the practical stuff we did to express that. Yeah, it's called complementarity. Yeah. Right? He's the idealist kind of floating up here. And I'm the realist that's kind of holding his his feet down to earth. And um it's, it's beautiful the way it works. And I think, you know, when you come into marriage and family life, it's easy to kind of, in theory, live in the abstract, you know, even as, as Catholics and serious Catholics, like we have this ideal of how we want to live. But once you start to live it, you realize that um, you have to really live in the reality of what's happening in your particular family and in the natural world while still holding in tension those ideals that you want to live by. And so we've learned a lot of things um, the hard way. Uh, We've learned by failing in some of the things, but I think the Lord has always helped us keep that ideal before us to keep striving. And really the ideal that shapes us is to help one another get to heaven and one day to live in unity with Trinity. I mean, that's that's the goal is to kind of to make it home together and to bring as many people starting with those that he's given us into that reality. And so it's that ideal, that lofty ideal that shapes us, but um, it's really the, the everyday life that holds our feet to the ground that helps us kind of learn how to live it. So some of the practical things we did that were very kind of, how do we incarnate this reality of the icon of the Trinity? Um, some really practical things we did from early on were to really have customs of honor and respect within our home. And those are totally blown up in so many ways today. I mean, I do a lot of work with young people, junior high and high school. We go into the schools and I am just appalled by the lack of just common decency and respect that young people have toward adults, towards teachers, administrators, other adults. And so early on, we wanted to 
have that expressed these these customs of honor and respect um to say that the people that you're relating to most within the home are actually bear the the image and likeness of God. And we want to relate to one another as if we're somehow relating to God in you. And yeah. so um, we didn't, we had some early on, we had some challenges in terms of how we were relating to one another in our speech. And um, God kind of brought us up short on that and said, you, um, you can't talk to one another this way. I don't know if you want to. It was mostly about me to tell the truth. Okay. Let's get my sins right out there. Like early on in our marriage in the first year and a half, like times that I, what I get frustrated or was upset about something, or I got angry and uh, some would say something sometimes that were hurtful, you know? And I remember one morning I, I thought, you know, Debbie and I had this argument one night and I thought she was basically you know, at fault. Okay. You know, like she's the one who, and so, uh, so I, how I responded to her, I thought was, was okay. And the next morning she went to bed. I went out for a walk. She went to bed. Next morning I got up, had my prayer time and Mr. Pius, I was praying and, and I felt like the Lord in a moment, a very vivid, I felt like he said, you cannot talk to my daughter that way. And I'm like, what? You know, and, and I got out a note card and wrote it down. And he said, you cannot talk to my daughter that way. You can be angry, but you cannot sin. And you cannot wound her by your speech. So I'm expecting you to listen to me. And I want you to repent to her. And she was upstairs. And I was sitting there thinking like, no way, Lord, that was her fault last night. You know, like she should repent to me. You know, I was petty. I was young. I'm 63 now, but I, that's where I was. That was where I was at. And so went up and repented. And then Debbie and I sat down and we took out three by five cars and say, okay, how are we going to deal with when we, how are we going to have a healthy argument? And what are things we're never going to do in terms of how we speak to each other um, in those moments? And if we do, what are we going to do? What are we committed to do to repair them? Because we wanted to be able to de develop these patterns so that our kids would learn them by the way we're actually living them. And you say, well, why do I want to do it? Because I really do honor her. And I want to honor her the way the Lord loves her and honors her. And he expects me to do that. And I'm trying to teach my kids how to honor. We're trying to keep, teach our kids how to honor your mother and your father. And if I'm not doing it, there's no way they're going to, there's no way they're going to learn it themselves. And so, and then that, that led to moments where if I, you know, I failed in different ways where I had to repent to Debbie. And then I would tell the kids, you know, you know how dad just did this or said this, that was inappropriate. And that's why dad, that's why dad asked mom's forgiveness. And this is going to happen because we're going to fall and you're going to do that with each other, you guys, and the way you treat each other, but you need to learn how to forgive each other and to extend forgiveness and receive it, that kind of thing. So we worked, we did work hard at trying to make those things a reality. Why? Because we're made in the image and likeness of God. And not only God commands it, but this is the nature of our dignity and what is meant to be part of the culture of family life. And it's not so easy to do like forgiveness that you guys probably all can tell your own stories. Sometimes forgiveness and extending it uh, and wanting to be quick to forgive and extend it and repent is not so easy, but it's a critical piece of building a family culture that honors God in the whole way in which God wants us to live together and honor one another. Yeah. So I think our kids picked up the cues um, from the way we spoke to one another and there were just certain ways we didn't allow it. So that's kind of more on the negative side. On the positive side, we tried to really be cognizant of our speech being, you know, 
reflecting tender care and respect for one another, actually learning how to listen to one another um, and just expressing that we really care tenderly for one another. Even our kids, teaching our kids how to do that. They weren't allowed to like call each other names or say you're stupid or even say shut up. Just that was the Herbex do not say shut up, you know, figure out a way other another way to communicate that you'd like that person to stop talking. But we're not going to speak that way. And then we had some positive things we tried to do. Birthday celebrations. We always had time when the whole family would go around no matter how old they were and and honor the person whose birthday it was and said, you know, would say, this is what I love about you, or this is what I appreciate about you, or this is what I like about you. And, you know, for many years, it was like, I like that you make my lunch. I like that you do my laundry. But learning how to show honor and respect to one another and to their siblings was really a beautiful thing um, to be able to do that. So I think speech is a big way. Um, just um, trying to think if there were any other things, the way we celebrated you know, part, holidays. Yeah, yeah. part of, part of the uh, honoring of birthdays and stuff was also teaching them to receive it. Mm-hmm. You know, like teaching them, that's part of the custom, just to say, just receive it. It's uncomfortable. That's okay. It can be uncomfortable. Maybe one child is like, yeah, keep it coming. Keep it coming. You're right. More of it. But for some of the kids, for some of the kids, it's just uncomfortable. But they lean how, need to learn how to give it and receive it. You know, and they need to be able to receive it so they can grow in strength from it and they can be they can be loved. They can be respected and loved. So anyway, I think that was that's how I mean, even to this day, some of the older my kids just feel a little uncomfortable, but they do it. You know what I mean? And we then we'd pray with we'd sing a song. We'd pray over them on their birthday to bless them and to say, this is what the kingdom of God's like. This is what God, our father is like. And this is why we're doing this stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, and I think also just to give our children a sense of how we um, we celebrate things like um, holidays and feast days. And I again, I grew up in a Jewish home, so the Jew, we celebrate the Jewish holidays as well. And to talk about how um, what God what's reflected in the natural, in the food, in the way we celebrate, in the way we fast, and then the way we feast all the smells and the sounds and the textures of, of life around our table and in our home all reflect the supernatural. So not getting them just getting them out of their heads and really having them have it kind of an incarnational experience of all those things, I think was huge for them and really kind of brought together. I mean, to sit around our, our table at Passover is just um, unbelievable to see our kids, even at a young age, begin to retell the story of the Passover and understand what Jesus did for them. You know, as we take the lamb and we take the matzah and we talk about what happened there. Those are all ways that we're trying to kind of in the natural um, reflect what's happening in the supernatural. For them. And, you know, we used to do uh, when uh, the kids were still living at home. For years, we did a thing called celebrating the Lord's Day. So on Saturday, like Saturday would be in the afternoon would be a chore time, you know, and we had our ways of helping everybody, you know, getting each of the children. Some Saturdays we were better at it than others of everybody having a certain assignment, responsibility, the house clean or to work outside in the yard. We get these chores done and then we'd come in, everybody shower up and we would get put our nice clothes on. And, you know, and then we bring friends over and Debbie would be cooking and we'd help and uh, cook a big meal. And every Saturday night we would have a meal that would set apart the Lord's Day that would start it. And we'd always bring family friends over. And it was a way of celebrating family life, 
It was a way of celebrating the custom to say, here's a custom that defines who we are. We didn't always talk about it that way. Like tonight, we're defining who we are, kids. It wasn't like that. It was just living it together. We'd sing, we'd celebrate, we'd read from God's word, we'd laugh and have a good time, we'd have a good meal, and and the meal would go long, it'd be a long meal, and the kids liked it, and their friends were with, and other families would join us. And then afterwards, everybody pitched in and cleaned up, and then we'd play games together. And then we'd say, first thing Sunday morning, say, hey, kids, we're going to, and sometimes, you know, we had to work at it because we're, we're, you know, human beings and we have weaknesses. We're, we're extremely excited. We are now at the high point of the week. We're going to mass. Like, we're going to go. And some days we'd argue and go to mass, just like your know, kids would be fighting in the back. <laughs> And we'd have to kind of pull it together or I'm groggy and crabby myself. And I need to kind of get my act together and, and just say, no, this is really valuable. And this is what the Herbecks do, because this is not only natural for us as a family to give thanks to God, but now we're going to be with families of families. We're going to be with all these other families. And then really it's the, the Eucharist and mass was like a defining thing for us. It really was. It was, it was an important piece of shaping our identity. And then, I mean, Easter Vigil was like the best. I mean, with Christ the King, my parish is like off the charts with a four and a half hour Easter Vigil every year. And from the time the kids were little, they loved it. And they thought it was cool because at our parish, you had to go to get a seat. You had to go 90 minutes early to wait outside before the doors even open because, every, because it was so packed. And the kids knew it was special. And it was a cool thing. And, and even now when they come home, sometimes they'll say, hey, let's go with their kids and go, let's go to the Easter vigil, you know, together. Let's do the vigil instead of Sunday morning. So the reason I'm saying that and bringing it up was that was a lot of work. It was a lot of work because we'd have a meal. It was energy. It was a long night. You know, the kids were long beyond bedtime and all that. But it, it doesn't always feel like supernatural, like amazing. But it's so good and so formative, and it was such family formative time in the core of who we are, which is the liturgy, which was great. We're so fan, we're so ha- happy about the opportunities we had, you know, mm-hmm. on all that. So, yeah. and then I think too, as our children got older, you know, we really saw us forming the domestic church. But the idea that within the Trinity is the sending, the sending on mission, you know. Um, and to, to begin to say together, what is the family, what is the Lord calling us as a family to do? How are we being sent out, not only to um, help our children get to heaven, but to help others and to help our children engage in the mission? And so that was something that we talked a lot about, um, you know, evangelizing our children more deeply and then engaging them in the mission of the church yeah. in different ways. I mean, because you think about, okay, the family's the icon, the Trinity. But guess what? The Trinity is, is also, in its essence, missional. The Trinitarian missions have saved, the, have saved the world. You know, the Father's, for God so loved the world that he sent his only Son. The Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to us in our baptism. So fa- a healthy Catholic family, you know, in, in the natural is, is raised up in the supernatural to be a missional Communion, a missionary communion. The family is a missionary communion. It's kind of a theological concept, but it's true. And so, different ways as the kids grew up, we would engage in you know soup kitchens. We would bring in people that were kind of evangelizing to our kitchen table and help. And conversations would happen, so the kids would get it as they got a little older. We made the effort. Let's get into Mexico on a mission. Bring their friends. You know, Debbie would lead teams, and and they'd go down there, work in the garbage dumps, and they'd pray with people. You know, we'd go down with. 
uh, always trying to get as many you have people who are just about five or six or seven years older than them in the house because they think they're cool. You know what I mean? So like when they were junior high, having seniors in high school who we knew had faith, we'd invite them for dinner. We'd, we'd you know, get them on mission. And so they could help evangelize our kids. And we wanted to just kind of, without habits of doing that, it always feels like it can feel like the missional dimension of our life, which is fundamental is like an occasional add-on rather than something that's in our DNA. You know what I mean? And I know other families too, like we do this full time, but we know families that don't do this kind of work full time, doctors, carpenters, whatever. And they do that kind of stuff with their children and in an intentional integrated way. And that is honestly one of the most effective things we've ever done to help our kids get more deeply converted and to understand themselves as disciples. So that, that was a that was a big part of it too. Just saying, this is the nature of what a family is, you know. So I was thinking about the Trinity, you know, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in heaven. This isn't like deeply theological, but they didn't just the Father wasn't just like, hey, we're pretty cozy up here together, and we don't really need to pay attention to what's going on, you know, with all of humanity. Like God actually sent His Son into the world um, for us. And um, sacrifice allowed his son to be sacrificed, and so we want to have that same sacrificial nature to our family, which is we don't want to just be like a little cozy family that's doing their own thing, that's you know up on all the latest trends and technology, and it has a lot of stuff. We really want to image what the Trinity is, which is really movement and missional in nature, and it's I, it's beautiful to see like our children now you know, really being hospitable in their own homes, having a spirit of sacrifice with their families. Like they got something, something we communicated, got yeah. and transmitted to them, really sunk in with them to say, it's not all about you. You know, yeah. there's a whole world out there that God is sending us into to really express his love. Read true confession. Um, I would say that the feminine genius and the, the woman's capacity to kind of create the home is critical for making the natural the place of encountering the supernatural. Cause I, I would, I had to grow. I mean, this is a weakness. I like, I would always want to agitate to go do more out there. And so if I had, if I was, you know, if we were taking our time, making a good meal and just letting it on, you know, making it, letting it unfold, let family happen, let the conversations happen and don't try to make every conversation an intense spiritual conversation, you know, or something like that. And I, I, you know, it, I would get frustrated. I would get frustrated, but it was because I wasn't even, I, I just had to grow in the awareness of the appreciation of the natural and how the natural communicates God's life. And so I, I had a hard time appreciating it at times because I was agitating for something bigger, better, go, 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 you know, and, and that's just not, that's not God's way. You know what I mean? There's a right time and a right place for those kinds of things. So anyway, I think one and Debbie was good at that. That's yeah. my point. Debbie was good at that. That's why I brought that up. Yeah. One last thought I want to just say is one thing I've learned over the years is that the highest value in all this is love. It's not about being right, like who's right and who's wrong, who was right more and, you know, or who did more and who didn't. It's really love is 
is the highest value. And it's funny, I have written down here, Greg, my um, little quote is go home and love your family from Mother Teresa. So there you go. Holy Spirit moment there. But um, this is really the nature of the Trinity is this agape love um, to love beyond our own strength and our own capability um, and to express this unconditional love of other. Because in the end, when we stand before the Lord, that's it. You know, that's all that we have is love to show him. And so that's the, the thing that really, it really is the school of love, you know, in the natural to help us elevate that to the supernatural. Well, so, yeah, I think our time's probably up, but um, yeah, I was going to ask Debbie to say something about Mother Teresa, but. We'll another another that, time. Another we'll time. talk more yeah. about her. I saw lots of heads nodding, including my own. So thank you so much, Peter, for wisdom and for sharing with us. Um, so much to be grateful for, so much to aspire to, so much to um, just embrace and go deeper in. So thank you so very much. Magdalena, thanks you too. Um, so T-R-I-N, tonight natural. Next week we have Greg and Julia Alexander from the Alexander House, and their eye is on intentionality. Peter, maybe as uh, head of the household, Debbie United with you, lead us in a prayer right now, personally and in our marriages, and then we'll land it. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. We pray for each one of our families. Each one of us, you know us, Lord. You know our brokenness, our weaknesses, our struggles. Um, maybe in our marriages or struggles with children at certain times. Lord, we unite our hearts together and pray for each and every one of those situations and ask for your hand to be upon our children, upon our marriages. Uh, help us to not be afraid. Help us to lean into you and to open our hearts to the kind of help we need uh, where and whenever we need it. Lord, we ask your blessing on these families. Uh, use us in this hour to be courageous witnesses uh, to what you will and desire for your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to our very special Power Hour series for Catholic couples featuring a dynamic new presenter every week. We're making available all episodes right now on demand for free at massimpact.us forward slash power hour. We're so grateful and blessed for partners who help us drive this critical mission of uniting families in seeking, proclaiming, living, and building the kingdom. Find out more at ilovemyfamily.us. Please click on that partner tab.